and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, uh, limping because of his hip. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as uh, last week, Pastor Dwight uh, wrapped up our James series on community. Uh, our prayer is that our community and fellowship here at Renewal would continue uh, to grow and flourish with the aim of blessing each other spiritually and bearing fruit in our mission uh, to the city and the world. But this morning, um, as I mentioned, we'll be starting a new series for the midsummer, uh, focusing our hearts on prayer, looking at the ways that many of the saints uh, in the scriptures prayed. We'll be looking at both the Old Testament and the New Testament to really learn from the way they prayed and be reminded of the power of prayer, that God works, acts, and moves through the prayers of his people. And later this week, the leadership, we, we plan on sending out an email uh, calling us as a church to a focused season of fasting and prayer, especially as we're heading into a season of our church where we really need God's guidance and blessing. And we're hoping that along the way uh, that this sermon series will uh, help guide us in that. Well, the first passage we're looking at here that I just read from Genesis 32 is this well-known narrative of Jacob wrestling with God in prayer. And to start with some context, in case you're not familiar with this story, uh, at the beginning of the chapter, we read that Jacob, uh, along with his family, he's on his way back home after wandering around on the run for a while. And he's scared to go home to run into his twin brother Esau when he gets there. Uh, Jacob had deceived Esau, his brother, on more than one occasion uh, and was fearing retribution. About 20 years actually had passed since his most heinous act of deception when Jacob tricked his father Isaac into giving him Esau's rightful blessing as the firstborn. But there's no way to tell from this far away. You know, there's no communication, no texting, no social media. He could not tell if Esau still held that grudge against him or not. And what made it worse is that Jacob had sent some messengers ahead of him to give Esau a heads up. Hey, I'm coming home. You know, and they came back to tell him. We told Esau you're coming home, but he's actually coming out to meet you. And along with him, there are 400 men coming with him. And he's like, oh, man, he's sending 400 men. We're dead. We're not going to survive this. So Jacob appeals to him, trying to placate that anger and vengeful spirit by sending all these gifts ahead of him as to perhaps win him over. And one night as he's resting by himself, he has this memorable encounter with God. And what we can see are some very, very important lessons here on how we are to pray uh, in times of desperation, uh, in times where we feel hopeless, in times of crisis. So we'll look at three quick parts of this message. The first uh, part is the setup, uh, praying in solitude. Uh, second part is the wrestling match, praying to God for God. And thirdly, the limp, praying with continual humility. 
So first it's set up, praying in solitude. Now important detail to notice in this narrative is found in verse 24, that after sending his entire family ahead of him across the stream, we read that Jacob was left alone. And it's not by accident that this detail is in there because it wasn't until Jacob was alone that this man of God showed up and wrestled with him all night until the breaking of day. Now Jacob had set out uh, for his homeland with pretty much everything he had built his security on, his animals, his flocks, his herds, all his servants, his entire family. And all this was an accumulation of all the blessings he had accrued and gained throughout his life. And it's no wonder that as he's on the run, he's surrounding himself he's, uh, with them. He's taking them everywhere he goes because he needed this strong sense of protection and security to stand behind. And don't we do this too as human beings uh, whenever we face challenges? Maybe you're in a challenging, stressful situation in your life today. I know God knows we've all in these recent few years uh, have been challenged in these ways. And our tendency, right, maybe before we even turn to God, is to grab a hold of the closest tangible thing, right, or person uh, in order to feel safe. It might be your financial security that you've built up, you've saved up. That makes me feel safe. All your past accomplishments that reminds you, hey, I'm okay, I'm doing well. You hold on to that. Your talents, your favorite belongings, whatever brings a temporary sense of pain relief to you, cling to that with all your might. I see my baby boy doing this. He's back there. He just turned eight months this week. He's just lying on the playmat. He just grabs things and just clings to them. Most recently, he loves my empty Poland Spring water bottle, which I want to just like, ah, I try to eat that and just clinging on to that. And I recently read that's the way babies comfort themselves when their parents aren't, aren't around. They need a comfort object, a substitute comfort object uh, to fill that security. And as adults, right, we've never really outgrown that habit. We hold on to things. Uh, Jacob had plenty of those, uh, but being in this very anxious state he was in, very fear, fearing for his life, he came to a place where he had to let all that go, one at a time, one group at a time. He had to send that all over the stream until there was nothing left. God took away everything so that his hands were completely empty. The very hands that clung to Esau's heel, the hands that took things that weren't rightfully his, but that's exactly where he needed to be in order to truly, truly meet God and meet him in that place of meaningful, meaningful prayer. So ask yourself this question today, when was the last time that happened to us? When we were truly left alone, forced to let go of the things we gripped tightly to so that we can meet God in this way. For some of us, it might be happening right now. You're wondering, why is God taking things away from me right now, making me feel insecure? But for a lot of us, it's probably been a long time since our hands have been empty and we were forced to reckon with God. You know, we all tend to deal with stress and fears in so many different ways if you're going through that now. Some of us, we bury ourselves in our work, right? We think that just staying busy, busy, busy with work will keep, help us forget about all that's going on, all the things that's going on wrong. That all, and we, as we add on the hours, we'll forget. Others of us constantly surround ourselves with people, whether it's family, we're just running to our family members, our social circles, because that makes us feel safe and dulls whatever pain we're going through. For a lot of us, we cling to our social media accounts all day long, right? Refreshing all of our accounts many times a day, Instagram, Facebook, maybe many times an hour. 
some of us many times a minute because <laughs> it fills that void. If you don't know, check the battery settings on your phone and see what percentage goes to what apps, right? And if it's like 90% something, then yeah, you, you should probably examine what's going on there. But if it's not that, you know, we'll fill it with something else, all this noise uh, going or that we can surround ourselves with. But don't be surprised. In fact, consider yourself blessed if God in his love slowly pries those things out of your hands so that you can be surrounded by God and God alone. And in that place, truly, truly get closer to him in the way that we need. I recently met up with a brother who felt that uh, a close brother friend to whom he had always turned to for spiritual support, prayer requests, that this brother had drifted from him. And just what a painful, hard situation that was. But afterwards, coming to realize that this was in some ways a hidden blessing because he shared that now he's turning to God first and that this tremendously helped his faith to grow in this season. Is God doing this to you? Maybe all those things you're clinging to as these God substitutes, maybe they're not bringing you the comfort that you want. Maybe they're actually doing the opposite. Maybe they're disappointing you, causing you stress. You're trying to work these things out so that it, it's become for you this, this uh, very reliable source of security. And God sees that. God sees what has, what's happening. He loves you and he may not necessarily take them away from you right away, but he may move your heart and maybe give you the opportunity to let go of these things on your own, just as Jacob had to do at that moment, sending away his possessions, his flock, sending away his family across, across the stream. It was all that's left was, were empty hands. And as we're about to issue this call this week, maybe it's to spend a season fasting from some of those things, or maybe to schedule in more times of solitude in your personal schedule Maybe it's to turn off the noise, the, the social media accounts, all the devices, so that in that place of silence, you're forced to deal with your heart and come before the Lord. You know, yes, we do need strong community in our lives. We just spent the, the whole series on that. Uh, we need to be active in, in just corporate worship and attendance. But, you know, as believers, there must be aspects of our spiritual growth, lessons we're learning, our lives that... Nobody else sees what you share about where you are spiritually. So many of those lessons we must be learning on our own between us and God. And so if just like Jacob, God is doing that, causing your God substitutes to frustrate you, or if he's calling you to let them go, consider that a blessing today. Turn away from those things and turn to God. He will truly meet us there. Which leads us to our second point here now. Praying to God for God in this dual match that we see taking place here in this chapter. And so that's what it's the way it's described as a wrestling match. The way that Jacob's encounter with this angel slash man of God. And now let me just pause here. This, this figure appears to be an angel at first, but Jacob himself is convinced in verse 30 that he was God himself. And that he saw him face to face. And so that's what it's described, that he wrestled with him. And I personally love this passage because I was a wrestler from junior high uh, to high school. And during these, those six years that I devoted myself to this grueling sport, I had a love-hate relationship with it. Well, I loved it because I loved winning. You know, winning is always fun. Uh, I always 
love bonding with teammates. You know, uh, we stay in touch. We still stay in touch after all these years. We learn many lessons on just discipline, mental toughness. You know, that stuff that team sports teaches you when you're young. But on the other hand, man, I hated it. <laughs> I hated it. There was tremendous pressure to win when everyone's just watching you and your opponent on the mat, and the practices were just awful. You just couldn't wing it. And you know, as young people, we try to wing things all the time. Uh, coach, coach had to be in your face, yelling and at you to practice harder, get better, which is hard to do on your own. But the hardest part of the sport was when we would have these live wrestling, like these drills, where we're forced to wrestle our teammates as though they were our real opponents for sometimes up to 10, 20 minutes at a time. Now a match is about is six minutes long, three two period, um, th three two minute periods, and unless you're conditioned and trained to do this. You know, grappling for even a minute or two minutes is tremendously hard. So many kids were throwing up all the time if they weren't in shape uh, for practices. And so this picture of Jacob wrestling all night with God, many hours, it sticks with me a lot. Jacob had to use all his mental and physical energy here to seek God in prayer. And he could not let down his guard or fall asleep for even a moment Otherwise, the opponent would take advantage. And so we ask here, why did this have to happen this way for Jacob? Why this grueling, exhausting scene? Well, let's pause for a minute and look back again at Jacob's life and all that happened that led him to this point. All the way back to when he was born into the world. And if you were to describe his story, it appears that Jacob had been, in a sense, wrestling with his brother you know, his entire life, Esau, in hostility and rivalry. You know, on the day he was born, he's grabbing his heel as they're coming out of the mother's womb. He's like, yo, I want to come out first. Later, he tricked him into trading his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. And as mentioned earlier, he later, he, he disguised himself as his brother while his father Isaac could barely see. Always scheming and fighting to get ahead in life. And the guy most impacted by his actions was his brother, who didn't do a whole lot uh, to provoke him uh, in the first place. And throughout his life, Esau's shadow loomed large over him. But in this very memorable scene, as they're in this intense struggle, God was showing Jacob that his whole life, it wasn't actually his brother that he'd been striving and contending against. He had actually been wrestling with God himself the whole time. If you remember the whole context of the Old Testament, the blessing was promised to Jacob from the very beginning. Chapter 25, verse 23 of Genesis, the prophecy was given to Isaac that the older shall serve the younger. And that was for him. But it seems like all that went over Jacob's head and he tried to take all of that for himself despite all the collateral damage and pain it was causing other people. And so in all of Jacob's strivings for blessing and happiness, God was nowhere in the picture. He strove for the blessing, but didn't strive for the blesser. And so this is precisely where and why God shows up. He inserts himself into the picture to save Jacob. He imposes himself into his heart and soul. Because he needed to learn to struggle and pray to God for God himself. God was his treasure and reward, not the birthright or the blessing. God was the one worth fighting and contending for. And so we'll see the outcome of all this in a minute here, but let me pause and ask you, 
Is Jacob's life, his struggle up until this point, a picture of you? Are you exhausted from fighting all the wrong battles, striving for things that only God can perfectly provide for you? Are you fighting to get happiness for yourself through your own abilities and not trusting God to give them to you in his wisdom and in his timing? And has that left you weary, discouraged, burnt out? Are you getting bitter at the very things you once idolized? And is there very little energy left to pursue God in prayer at all? And so we need God to do for us what he did for Jacob here. In this scene, he brings Jacob to the end of himself, his own strength. And as a result, Jacob has no choice but to cling to God in desperation and prayer. He wouldn't let him go because he's now seeking God himself as his happiness and security and no longer seeking those things through scheming and deceiving. And so in verse 26, if you see there, the man of God says, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob responds by praying, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He is completely changed here. He has channeled that relentless pursuit of happiness for himself to now crying out desperately to God. And I want to believe Jacob, he really was not going to let the man of God go there until he was blessed. The wrestler in me thinks it was some sort of headlock or a camel clutch, if you know what that is. He's just kind of in that, he has him in his clutches there. And he wasn't going to let him go until the blessing came. So church, this narrative is here for us to be challenged by in the season of growth, change at our church where we really want to go forward, learn from our mistakes, make true sound decisions regarding our future, where, where we're headed. Before any of that happens, before we decide on anything, we need to be desperate for God first. We need Him in the midst of everything. We need to want Him and yearn for Him before we ask him to bless the work of our hands. We can't go to God and say, God, we, you know, we made these plans. We figured it out. We think this is best, so, so bless this and uh, make this work out. No, we, we need to pray, Lord, lead and guide us in the ways that you think is best. So I want to call of us, all of us to do exactly that. Now, what kind of heart posture and attitude do we need? And this is now our final point as we look at now the limp. Praying with continual humility. That broken heart of humility that readily admits our weakness and deep need for God. That's what will keep us in that posture of prayer over the long haul. And not just in spurts, but over the course of our lives. You know, in this narrative, Jacob, he was a work in progress, right? He had, you know, actually just a few chapters earlier, he had already actually had a profound encounter with God. If you remember the story when he said, how awesome is this place? He saw the angels ascending and descending from heaven. He said, this is none other than the house of God. And he called that place Bethel. But here, just a few chapters later, he's not acting as one who had been through that. Somewhere since he had reverted back to his old ways. He's actually scheming again on his own wisdom and ability to appease his brother's anger. Which just goes to show us, we got to stay humble. You know, none of us will ever fully arrive at perfection this side of heaven. We need to learn and relearn sometimes the same lessons over and over again. And in order for that to happen, God will continue to send humbling experiences our way to remind us that we need Him. Do you feel that way sometimes? That you just have to, you're just learning the same things over and over again? Years and years, maybe even decades of things that, you know, I thought I got this down, you know, when I was younger, when I was a student. 
before, you know, I started a family, but man, I still hear these lessons on being unselfish, on faith, boldness and standing for Christ. It's like we don't fully learn and arrive at perfection at all until we go to heaven. And so we need to learn this lesson here that Jacob learned here at this point. In verse 27, what does he do? The, God, uh, the man of God asked Jacob, what is your name? And the reason for that is to get Jacob to confess who he had always been. Jacob means he cheats. Imagine if that was your name, cheater or the deceiver. And he has to confess this, that's my name, to taste the humility of the kind of person he had always been. And once he did that, he admitted that. In this struggle, as he's striving to get the blessing from God himself, that's when God changes him. He gives him a new name. He says, your name is no longer cheater, deceiver. It is now Israel. For now you have striven, not on your own ability for things you can hold in your hands, but you've striven with God and with men, and you have overcome. You have prevailed. Now he has a new identity, a complete overhaul from his actions all the way down into his heart. What he wants, what he strives for is God over the gifts, the giver. And this God had granted him the victory. He's no longer a self-reliant grasper, but a God-reliant overcomer. All those scheming ways were now behind him. And that's not the only thing that happened. Let's look back now at verse 25. There we see that God put Jacob's hip out of joint so that as we look forward in verse 31, he walked away with a limp, perhaps a limp that will stick to him for the rest of his life. This limp served to be a daily physical and painful reminder to him that he needed to depend on God for his every step, literally, and for every trial, every challenge, and even with every success and victory, he wasn't a perfect man. He needed, to, he needed to hold on to something or someone just to get to where he needed to go. You know, this victory and this wrestling match here may have seemed like it was enough for Jacob that he didn't need any more lessons to learn, but that was far from true. He was a, still a flawed sinner, needs to remember his need for grace the rest of his life. And so it, it is for us today. Some of us may have been Christians for a very, very long time. But maybe God has left you with a certain limp. Whether it's a weakness that just comes back over and over and over again. A failure, perhaps some bad memories, something that triggers some feelings of shame in the past. Things you can't control, but it keeps you grounded. Keeps you humble. Many years later, the Apostle Paul would call this a thorn in the flesh. A messenger from Satan to, to keep him from becoming conceited from all these great revelations he was receiving from God. So that he can always remember that God is sufficient for him in every weakness. And be able to pray with all his heart. When I am weak, then I am strong in Christ. If you have a limp or a thorn, know today that God is with you. He sees it and he loves you through it. He's drawing you to himself. Guarding your heart against self-dependence and arrogance. 
that you can pray to him for himself every day for the rest of your life. I often wonder this. This is a question that, um, that we often hear. God gave us everything we asked for, what we want, when we want it, the manner in which it should come. Where will we be desperate for God? What would our prayer life look like? You know, for us on the pastoral staff, if you were to talk to us, we're very well aware of our limps, our insecurities, uh, mistakes we've made, our humble beginnings, things we might lack. None of us are perfect. <laughs> uh, for every one thing we might be good at, there are probably three or four things that we're bad at. We're learning, we're growing. We know not to get prideful, not to get too high on our successes, or to get too low on our failures. And we, we're working together as we're limping forward by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. How about you? Do you feel this at work in your life today? Can you truly say that apart from God, I am nothing? And does that lead you to a place where you, if you were to really, really just have it out with God, that you yourself would pray, Lord, I am not going to let you go until you bless me because that blessing needs to come from you. I cannot get it for myself. If it doesn't come from you, then I get nothing. I have nothing. You know, if you're joining us and you're new here today, you're not a Christian, we just thank you so much for being here and listening to these words. I just want to encourage you as you might be exploring Christianity and our church, you know, you're catching us at a time where Man, we're up here admitting we, we don't have all the answers. We're not a perfect people. In fact, we're flawed. We're limping beings who pray not because we're spiritually superior. We're not standing out on the corner of the streets just, you know, looking spiritual. But we pray because we really believe without God we're absolutely helpless. And I don't know what your concept of prayer is. The world and society out there tends to throw that word around when something horrible happens. Thoughts and prayers, this and that. And people may claim to pray. And I wonder if you're convinced people actually do pray, you know, or if they really believe in a God who hears prayers and works through them. Whether you think it's real or not, we stand before you today as sinners saved by grace, valuing the practice of prayer, and we're heading into a season of prayer because it's our one way, our one means, our one line to communicate with God so we can express ourselves to Him and really be in a personal relationship with Him. And so we invite you to come to know Him a holy God who has made a way for us through his death and resurrection as our sacrifice. He himself is the bridge that we can cross from imperfection to a place to, of being known by God perfectly. He's the way, the truth, and life, and this is what he wants for us. A word to our church, Christians, you know, we've heard messages on prayer over and over and over again, but can I ask, do you need this message again for yourself this morning? Is your life too filled with contention, you know, striving, where you feel like you have enemies who are out to get you, you know, whether people from school or work, family members, maybe even fellow Christians, people who seem to bring out the worst in you. You know, Jacob and Esau had such a relationship, but God had to teach Jacob to settle down, turn to God, choose your battles carefully, and contend with the one who loves you and will give you everything you need. And maybe the call for you this morning is to do the same. You know, only the kindness of Jesus, his undeserved grace that caused his blood to be spilled for us can melt that contentiousness, that bitterness, that hardness of heart, that idolatry so that we can leave all that behind and run hard after God. And the end result is that when we get God, 
through a personal relationship with Jesus, you'll never lose it because he constantly gives himself to us. You'll truly be all that we are meant to be. So, brothers and sisters, church, lay down your pride, lay down your weapons, lay down your crowns. Allow the Lord your God to crown you with his love, mercy, and salvation. And watch as he changes your identity, as he changes who you are at the core, as he changes your name. And may you strive with God and man and truly overcome by prayer through his victorious power and grace. Not in your ability to stay faithful in it. We'll always drift. We'll always have our good seasons and bad seasons. But God never wavers. He is always victorious over you. He holds you in the grip of his hand. And may you treasure and love him more than anything in this world. May you cling to him because you adore him. May we teach our children to do the same. I'm going to share this story. Um, a young girl uh, asked a pastor uh, if he would pray with her sick father. He said he would. And when he arrived, uh, he found this girl's sick father uh, laying in bed with his head propped up on these pillows. And beside the bed was this empty chair. And the pastor saw that chair and said, oh, were you expecting me? No, the father said, who are you? The pastor explained to the father that his daughter, daughter had sent him. He said, oh, sorry, I saw the empty chair and I figured you knew I was coming. Oh, the chair, the father said. Uh, would you mind closing the door behind you? And as he did, the father said, you know, I'm going to tell you a story about that chair uh, that I haven't even told my daughter. All my life, I've never known how to pray. At church, I heard a lot of sermons about prayer. But it all just went over my head. So I gave up on prayer. Then one day a close friend told me that, you know, prayer is just a simple conversation with Jesus. Why don't you try sitting down on a chair? I'm going to place an empty chair in front of you. And in faith, you know, see Jesus sitting on that chair and talk to him. Talk to him the way you're talking to me now. And so I tried that. And I liked it so much that I do it for a couple of hours every day. I'm careful not to let my daughter see me because she'll think I'm crazy and send me to the funny farm. Uh, the, the pastor found that story very touching. So he prayed for him and said, please hear me. Do that every day. Seek him and don't give up. Sometime later, the daughter called the pastor to inform him that her father had passed. The pastor asked her, did he die in peace? Uh, yes, she said. I checked on him, spoke to him, then I went out. When I returned, um, he had passed. Uh, but there was something strange. When I came back, I saw him. His head was resting on an empty chair next to the bed. You know if that makes sense? And with tears in his eyes, the pastor said, yeah, it makes sense. He was praying. He passed knowing Jesus more personally than I did. I hope we can all pass that. And it's such a precious story because uh, this is what God wants for all of us. To seek him, to know him deeply, to know that he himself is our reward, our blessing. To love him personally, to know that we can stand secure in his grip on our lives and his love for us. And it's entirely possible for all of us who are saved to have a relationship with him in prayer that looks like that. 
but something we all need to take the time to cultivate. So why don't we do that? Why don't we do that all together in your individual life as a church this week? Pick a day, pick a time, pick a place. Just get alone with God. You know, just turn off the noise, turn off, turn off your devices, just put away anything that will visually distract you and just have it out with God. Strive, contend, wrestle in prayer with him with all that is in you. Cry out to him. If there's nothing you can say, just say, Lord, I need you. And I'm not leaving until you bless me. I need you more than anyone or anything or what they can offer me. It's you. Christ is my reward. And as we do that, as we strive for him, to know him, we'll get his face and we'll get his hands. He'll give us what we need, not everything we want what we need and those things will take on an importance and a meaning and a significance that will be much greater than if we hadn't prayed at all and the promise is that Jesus himself said seek and you shall find knock and the door shall be open for you when we pray to God for God himself he will truly give himself to us would you bow and pray with me as we close this time